We're going to start this show off today with a tribute to a fallen hero, Dustin Diamond, a.k.a. Samuel Screech Powers. He was a huge Married with Children fan. He even got the producers of Saved by the Bell to let him do a little Al Bundy impersonation on the show. Here it is. Episode entitled Save the Max. Who just dropped in? It's the star of Married with Children, my favorite TV lowlife, Al Bundy. (laughs) It's an honor to be here to uh, help you guys save this dump. It's not a dump, Al. It's a very nice place. Hey, what do I know about taste? I'm Mary Peg. Look, there's something else I have to tell you. I haven't been completely honest with you about my past. You mean you're not permanently disabled and can work? <laughs> no, not that. Look, my real name isn't Jefferson Darcy. I used to work for the CIA. Now, a few years ago, I was involved in a covert operation that sent a lot of bad people to prison for a long time. But there was this one guy that got away. The only person in the world who can blow my cover. Walter Troggett. Well, thank God. I thought you were going to tell me you dated Cher. <laughs> well, I did. Uh, but... It wasn't part of the job, it just was my turn. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Merry with Children podcast. My name is Tyler, and it's my turn to date Cher. <laughs> and who do I have with me today? I'm Steven Scott, and if I ever go out with Cher, I'll be dead as network TV. If I could turn back time, would I really turn back time? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Sonny Bono's just sitting there laughing. Oh, boy. He's the only one I remember Cher, you know, being involved with. So it blew my mind when I when I saw in the research, like, how many people she dated. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my turn. But anyway, we were here to uh, take a look at uh, the episode, The Darcy Files. Yes, capital D, and capital A, Darcy Files. This is season eight, episode 20. The writers include Ilunga Adele and Michael G. Moy. I'm just going to go with those two. I hope I don't have to say that lady's name again. It was directed by Jerry Cohen, and it aired on March 20th, 1994. Oh, yeah. Jerry Cohen must have had, like, a big, big, big cup of coffee and was just had a nice spring in his step that day because this is one of the best, tightest directed episodes of a sitcom I've seen in a long time. I put it up there with the pilot of the Golden Girls where you've got a lot of stuff going on and you aren't wasting one second of time. 
Another spy scandal shocks the nation. You know the man in this picture. When Al discovers his neighbor's a double agent. Hey, guys, what's up? Nothing. Or as they say in the Kremlin, yep. Will he turn his best friend in for a $50,000 reward? Not like he's going to come through the window and get you. An all-new Married with Children. Then you're going to the movies with George. What will I do? Well, for openers, you can suck in that gut so we can get out of here. An all-new George Carlin show. It all starts Sunday at 9, 8 Central. And uh, I'd like to bring up right then there, this is a pun on the Rockford Files, an American detective drama television series starring James Gardner that aired on the NBC network between uh, 74 and 1980. And it remains in syndication to this present day, which is insane. Uh, they're just, James Gardner's making good money off of that show. He's a. Uh... Well, he's dead now. He's an Oklahoman. He was from uh, from here. Oh, man. And fr- frankly, when I looked at the trivia, I was thinking to myself, I always thought it was a play off the X-Files myself, just because it was starting to get popular at this time. I totally yes. thought it was the X-Files, too. But I was, like, trying to find out if the capital D, capital A, had anything to do with it, because that is how it's titled, like, in the script. But I can't really find out anything. I'm wondering if it's just a typo that they just never fixed. It's a little bit before when April, but a little bit before April Fools, but this is an April Fools type of um, episode. Yes, and I honestly think the writers or the whoever the people who are making it forget that because I think that's why you need the April the first calendar literally in your face for an entire scene because. I keep forgetting, and it'll come back big time at the end, but yeah, we'll talk about that. It starts off with Al and Peggy just chilling, and Al is very excited. Oh, Peg, I'm so excited. It's been so long, so very, very long. But in just a few brief moments, a brand new baseball season officially begins. As I live, I will never understand your fascination with baseball. Well, if you'd promise not to live too long, I'd tell you. I mean, baseball is so boring. How come they don't have a Harlem Globetrotters baseball team? They do. They're called the Mets. He's excited about baseball season, and I am too. It is back finally. Uh, The Cardinals were... I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, but uh, I'm glad they finally got to start playing again. a social distance as yes, a social distance f- friendly game of baseball where literally it's against the rules to make contact like baseball is starting back up and a little bit of that trivia a friend of mine who's a cubs fan he posted this picture on facebook at a cubs game and you know they're putting cardboard cutouts of people in the stands for some bizarre reason but there was one that was circled and it was that guy who played, uh, it was a big cut- cutout of Bernie on Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the eyeglasses were on, so it was like he was asleep. Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh. Dude, by the way, Weekend at Bernie's, uh, let's throw that right out there as a sequ- as a remake. If we're remaking every movie, that's a movie I want to see remade. And I have a list of people that I won't get into that I think 
could be great. Uh, listeners, if uh, you know, if you have any ideas, uh, post them on the on the Facebook page because I want to see that movie get remade. It's a lot of fun. Hopefully, the baseball season is getting off without a hitch. So. Oh, no, we've had plenty of hitches. But anyway, let's go back to Married with Children. And there's a line in there towards the beginning because Al's ready for baseball. And Peg says, how come the Harlem Globetrotters, how how come they don't have a Harlem Globetrotters baseball team? (laughs) Al says, they do. They're called the Mets. And, you know, (laughs) listeners to the show know that I am not a sports guy, but even I got that joke. (laughs) The Harlem Globetrotters are not a baseball team. They're a basketball team. And the Mets is a joke about... uh, Steven, which which is the one that everyone makes fun of? Is it the Mets? Well, right now I think it's the Tampa Bay Double Rays. But uh, in any way, the Mets were a laughing stock for a long time. In their inaugural season in 1962, for example, they posted a record of 40 wins and 120 losses, the worst regular season since Major League Baseball went to 162-game schedule. Three teams last year almost got close to that in 2019. One was the Baltimore Orioles. I think the other was the Minnesota Twins. And there was one more. I can't think of who it was. Maybe in the Marlins, but... They got close to matching the Mets and record. The Met- Casey Stengel. Sorry, just quick, just quick huh? question, Stephen. And the Met, for just for our listeners and for me, the Mets are one of two baseball teams of New York City or New York State. That I'm not sure, but I, I believe they're part of New York City. They might be the, you know, the Jets for the uh, state of New York. You know, and the Jets I think actually play in Jersey. I'm not sure because I know New York has like two teams. Sometimes and there's a there's animosity towards them with New York listeners chime in if you know so I, I just I always remember that and you're my sports guy so I just wanted to check anyway the Mets were really struggling at that time in the mid 1990s but they did win a World Series in 1969 they were called the Miracle Mets because everyone ruled them out and they came back to throne St Louis from the National League title. So they've had had some good uh, teams. Uh, 1986, I was all for them. I wanted them to win because Gary Carter was one of my favorite players, although they beat the uh, Boston Red Sox. I know a lot of Red Sox fans are upset on that one. Yeah, I've always been more of a Mets man than a Yankees man. Uh, Jefferson walks in. Hey, 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 hey! Do I smell trail mix? (laughs) Fresh from under the sofa cushions. (laughs) Grab a seat. Mm, 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 mm. Button. Ah. (laughs) Oh, hey, before I forget, Marcy wanted to invite you guys to an April Fool's party tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, I love April Fool's Day. Peg, remember Mrs. Quinn, our music teacher? (laughs) Yeah. One April Fools, we faked a love note from her to the female gym teacher. (laughs) And the school board suspended her license. (laughs) Just three days before her retirement. (laughs) And her husband divorced her, left her penniless. (laughs) Well, one April Fools' Day, I called the operator, said I couldn't get through to the zoo because their lion was busy. <laughs> and he is wearing 
a throwback uniform to the Kansas City Monarchs. Yep, and I had nothing in my notes except uh, good jersey. Well, the Kansas City Monarchs were the longest-running franchise in the history of the Negro Leagues in baseball. Ah. They operated in Kansas City and were owned by a white guy, J.L. Wilkinson, and they were charter members of the National Negro League from 1920 to 1930, and he was the first Caucasian owner of that time. Uh, or at the time of the establishment of the team. And they were the first baseball team to use portable lighting system, which was transported games to, uh, game to game in trucks. They did that to play the games at night. And they were doing this, you know, long before Major League Baseball started to do night games. Wow. I, I always forget that there was a thing called the, and by the way, listeners, just in case you won't, think Stevens using outdated speech that is the title of those leagues the negro leagues because before Jackie Robinson that baseball was highly segregated just like the rest of the country and it still blows my mind that we had white owners of black teams and it's just it's a strange little yeah. hiccup in the sporting world of America if you ever get a chance, visit the Negro Baseball Hall of Fame. It's up in Kansas City because the Monarchs were based there. They were the winningest team, most successful team. And Jackie Robinson did start there, including Ernie Banks, Willard Brown, Bill Foster, Satchel Paige, and J.L. Wilkinson. Er, uh, pardon me. Uh, I meant uh, Turkey Stearns. These were all Hall of Fame baseball players. And they started... But anyway, I visited that uh, museum on the Negro Leagues uh, just uh, last summer. It was really, really interesting to go through there and see. Actually, the Negro Leagues had to barnstorm, which meant they would travel because, you know, they couldn't play in certain venues because they were, you know, white-only venues. And so that was a frustrating thing. You're in the bus and you were stopping off to get food. They had to find a diner that served black people. You know, it's just, it's really strange how society has changed but enough on race we're talking about married with children and anyway just a little bit of trivia i noticed uh, on baseball how we're celebrating both the mets and the kansas city Monarchs. Uh, yeah thank you very much for that Stephen. it's always very welcome sports is a big deal in married with children and baseball specifically is a big deal for american history like it it go they go hand in hand so i'm glad you pointed all that stuff out but yes so we got jefferson and Al and Peg, who is getting an easy payday for this episode because she she and agree. Marcy were not asked to do much, but what they are asked to do, they do in spades. So uh, let's get back into our actual... Steven, I always feel really bad for Bud and Kelly when they're just inserted for no good reason. And this is another... This is another example of it because... In they come with their usual get rich quick scheme. Dad! Great news, Dad. Kelly and I want to start up our own business. So will you loan us $5,000? <laughs> well, sure. Jody, Buffy, let me truck on over here to the wall safe. Nobody look. <laughs> well, straight. Me blind and call me Charlie. It's been took. <laughs> Quick, after him. I'll wait over here by the ball game. I didn't even know we had a wall safe. <laughs> too bad it's gone. Your brains were in it. 
kids, if your father had been a successful shoe salesman, or a husband, or a lover, or anything, what kind of business would it have been? Well, it was going to be a photography studio where lonely guys could get their pictures taken with pretty girls. Hey, now that's not a bad idea. How'd you come up with that? Well, Saturday night and everyone was out partying and everything, so obviously Bud was upstairs in his room looking at underwear ads in the paper. Look, I figured... It's not important how she got the idea. Point is, we need $5,000. Well, a good panhandler can pull in $500 a day. $500 a day? Hmm? We'll have Bud and Kelly's open in no time. Hey, wait a minute. It was my idea. We're going to name it after me. Hmm. There's already a place called In-N-Out. So, apparently, Stephen, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer hasn't happened in, yet when they were filming this, correct? Yeah, that's a couple of years down the road, or about three or four years down I the laughed road. so hard because I was like, oh, they called Kelly Buffy. Oh, wait, wait, wait a second. You know, I looked at our uh, Google Docs notes and I was like, oh, Jody and Buffy are a reference to Family Affair. A sitcom I really have only seen a few episodes of. But yeah, it's uh, it was a sitcom that aired from 1966 to 1971. The series explored the trials of a well-to-do engineer and bachelor, Bill Davis, played by Brian Keith, as he attempted to raise his brother's orphaned children in his luxury New York City apartment. And Davis' traditional English gentleman's gentleman, Mr. Giles French, played by Sebastian Cabot, also had adjustments to make as he became saddled with the responsibility of caring for 15-year-old Sissy, spelled with a C, or Kathy Garver, and the five-year-old twins Jody, Johnny Whitaker, and Buffy, Arissa Jones. Kind of sounds a little like different strokes, in a way. Yeah, except they're not black, the kids. Yes, <laughs> it sounds a little more like different strokes, but boring. <laughs> And Brian Keith, great actor. Uh, he has so many acting credits, it's unbelievable. Um, you, one of my favorites with him was Hooper, when he was co-star with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, Brian Keith, he lived from 1921 to 1997. He uh, has 166 acting credits. Mm-hmm. Of course, he really wasn't on this episode of Mary with Children, but he j- was just one of my favorites uh, growing up, because you could always rely on him for a good performance. Jody, yeah. Uh, Johnny Whitaker, of course, went on. He had a lot of success. Oh, even I recognize Johnny Whitaker. So so Bud and Kelly are in their normal get-rich-quick scheme, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, is it literally just... To, they're trying to get money to do what? I keep forgetting. I just watched the episode where we started recording. I thought it was a, to get a car, wasn't it? I'm not sure, because like, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh... They're going to panhandle and just get money to get money. But no, they need $5,000 to do something. I legit I legit cannot remember. Me neither. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Um, but they are trying. So let's pretend it's to get a car. They'll <laughs> We'll give the listeners something to yell at us on Facebook about. They're trying to get money to get a car, and they need $5,000. Jefferson strolls on over there. A wise man of the world and says, well, a normal panhandler can make about $500 a day. And let me tell you, that better be a lie. Or if it's not, 
I'm quitting my job. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be out. I don't want to stand near a highway. Are you kidding? I would stand in the middle of the highway for $500 a day. Like, are you kidding? The amount of work I had to do yesterday and the amount of work I'm going to have to do later? Like, ugh. It's just, boo, 500 a day. But you know what? If you're looking as good as Tim McGinley, possibly. Bud actually makes a comment, Kelly in in and out And what he's referring to, and I don't think many people who don't live in Southern California would have gotten it, In-N-Out is actually called In-N-Out Burger. It's an American regional chain of fast food restaurants that are located mostly in the Southwest and Pacific Coast, but specifically in California. Apparently, they do have locations in Nevada, Utah, Texas, and Oregon, but probably just Chicago. I don't believe there is one at all, but... I never heard of them. They're not in Oklahoma, that's for sure. So you haven't heard of them, probably haven't eaten in one. It is one of the best fast food restaurants I've ever eaten in. Now, the food, it's good. It's not like, oh, my God, my mouth is salivating for an In-N-Out burger right this minute. But the difference is, it's the thing is, you don't feel gross after eating it. You don't feel this. the, The I need to take a nap. The bloating, I need to take a nap now. No, it's, you could just go and bash out an In-N-Out burger and then hop back to work and start and be just as lively as before you left. So, if you ever get out to the, to the South Pacific area, uh, check it on out. It's, I would definitely recommend In-N-Out. It's a good, uh, good dining experience. So, we have this whole setup here, and I knew in the beginning, Stephen, that this whole episode is about Jefferson. When I saw the Darcy Files, uh, this is a pivotal moment in Married with Children for our uh, main star, Jefferson. But I kept forgetting how it got to where it's going to go. Because right now we've got baseball. We've got the kids and their nothing plot. And we've got Peggy, who needs a way out of the episode. The game's starting. Who are those guys? Oh, they're just a bunch of VIPs nobody cares about. That's the owner of the team. He's introducing a new guy who just bought 10% of it. That's him. Huh? That's who? That's him. Walter Trogett. I, I, uh, I gotta go. Wait a second. Wait a second, Jefferson. Come back here. What's wrong? Was it something Peg did? (laughs) Because if it was, she'll be in the basement till the All-Star break. Uh, now, who am I going to watch the game with? And another thing about this baseball. Ah, uh, no. Now, why does that guy get to walk to the base? Because he got four balls. <laughs> well. Don't even say it! <laughs> Your mouth must open and close. Do it on this. You know, if you paid half as much attention to me as you do to this game, I probably wouldn't mind so much. I do pay attention to you, Peg. Ow. No, he was safe. <laughs> Ow, I think I broke my tooth. Ow. He was safe. Ow. Safe. Ow. Safe. Peggy eats one of them and goes, Ow. I can't, oh, or Katie Seagal's like whiny nails on a chalkboard scream is so great. 
And then that routine they do because um, there was a play going on at the same time on the on the television on, in baseball. Peg says, Al, I think I broke my tooth. And uh, He was Al, safe. Yeah. Peg says, Al. Al says, safe. Al, safe. Safe. Yeah. It was it- <laughs> Abbott Costello again. And I didn't think that one worked so well. Just That's just me. Uh, did you like that part? You know, I liked it only because I pointed this pointed this out to you before the episode start. We start recording. Com- I'm noticing that comedy is all about timing mm-hmm. and how long a joke lasts and how short a joke can last, and depending on who's saying it. I think this one worked specifically because Ed O'Neill and Katie Segal kept it going long enough. Because I wasn't sure what they were doing. And I'm like, wait, why is he saying safe, safe, out, safe? And then I heard, literally as the scene is transitioning, and it gives you like two seconds before we go into Jefferson and Marcy's uh, room, I had like two seconds to think about. I'm like, out, say, oh, <laughs> okay, that's cute. Like it's definitely, it's it's definitely not a belly laugh, but it was enough for me to understand what they were doing. You know, there's a line in there before when. Um... She says, uh, why does he get to walk to um, first base? And Al says, because he has four balls. <laughs> that was almost my opening uh, statement. Like, my name's Tyler, and I've got four balls. <laughs> then take your base. <laughs> yes. And he, like, they had a... I've been watching. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep referencing it, but I've been watching a lot of Golden Girls, and there's a lot of humor that they just did be, with that on that show because Al looks at Peggy. What? Don't even say it. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many episodes in Golden Girls where Dorothy, uh, Beatrice Arthur's character, will do that. One of the girls will be like, "The size of a man shouldn't matter about how great he is. Don't say anything, Blanche." And, like, literally cut some girl off right before she can speak. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> I've seen that trope used in some other uh, shows, although they can't come to mind right now, as I'm focused on. Then we have to go to Jefferson and Marcy's bedroom. <laughs> Please, Marcy, I am not in the mood for this tonight. But Jefferson, it's been almost eight hours. Look, there's something I have to tell you. Tonight, I was watching the ball game with Al, and who do I see on the TV? Walter Trogett, the new owner of the team. Wow. Odd that the owner would be at the game. Mount me. Look, there's something else I have to tell you. I haven't been completely honest with you about my past. You mean you're not permanently disabled and can work? (laughs) No, not that. Look, my real name isn't Jefferson Darcy. I used to work for the CIA. Now, a few years ago, I was involved in a covert operation that sent a lot of bad people to prison for a long time. But there was this one guy that got away. The only person in the world who can blow my cover. Walter Trogett. Well, thank God. I thought you were going to tell me you dated Cher. <laughs> well, I did. Uh, but... 
it wasn't part of the job. It just it was my turn. Oh, yes, and I will pull this right out. Uh, d- disclaimer for the recording, I thought this up and used it on Steven before we hit record, but I still think it works. I believe Amanda Beers showed up for filming for this episode, and the director was like, don't worry, Amanda, you're only in for one scene. That's great, Jerry, but um, <clears throat> what's this slutty piece of crap you want me to wear? Oh, that's your outfit. I thought I'm in only one scene. Oh, yes. Do I need the revolver? Yes, you do. Okay. And she puts on which... Uh, you know what, Steven? Man, I every once in a while, I have to be reminded that Amanda Pierce is not into men, and it makes me sad. Because, whew, she is looking fine as hell in this episode. Hell, it looks like she has breasts. I yes. Holy crap, Al would... I'm surprised Al didn't go blind when he's... Oh, I have in my notes, Al peeping Tom, question mark? You know, if he just wanted to talk to Jefferson, why didn't he just ring the doorbell? I mean, really. <laughs> Jefferson's all worried on his bed because Jefferson noticed, and we forgot to point it out because it's a blink and you miss it scene, the new owner of the baseball team... Walter Trogic, and he is, it worries Jefferson. That is when I always remember when I'm doing a rewatch. Oh, this is the Darcy Files episode. And Marcy walks in, dressed as a cowgirl. It's just like, hey, baby, let's do it. And he's like, I'm not in the mood. She's like, but it's been like eight hours. <laughs> I thought that's how long he lasted. He once said to the Al, you know, eight hours over, eight hours later, it's over. We were referring to sex with Marcy. <laughs> oh, yes. It's so great. We learned so much more about the relationship. Like, they are just having sex constantly. And the reason why is because Jefferson has a disability. We don't know what it is, but it means he can't ever work in its permanent. You know, one of my favorite lines he said was in a different episode was when... Marcy tells him, why don't you get a job? And he says, hey, I try, but by the time I get up, I look in the papers. But after the time I get showered and go out, all the good jobs are taken. Oh, that's so... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, just to point this out, I never really thought about it. I think this is the only... Wait a minute, I can think of one other one, maybe. I can only think of maybe two episodes were Jefferson-centric episode. That's true. And you know what? That's smart. I yeah. think whoever was writing his character or whatever team was figuring this out, because that's my idea, is when you write a sitcom that mm-hmm. has only, has a very, very, very small number of cast, I, there has to be somebody who is like, you are the Jefferson writer, and your team comes up with plots uh, to fit the episode. And Jefferson is... Okay, if, if we're going to go with the theory that Ed O'Neill is like... Uh, Al Bundy is Foghorn Leghorn or Daffy Duckish kind of character. Well, if we're going to stick our Looney Tunes theme, Jefferson's Bugs Bunny. He's the he's the one who can make rule. The, he can he can control the flow of the episode. He can be inserted when you need him to be and push a plot forward. When you start giving that kind of character dimensions and rules, you restrict what he can do. But I was, just, I was just thinking, because even in the first four seasons, we had some good Steve-centric episodes. Of course, that character was a little bit more dynamic, 
multidimensional. Like you said, Jefferson isn't multidimensional. David Garrison. David Garrison. And I think a lot of that, uh, Stephen, is because David Garrison, the actor who plays Steve, was a theater actor and probably had a lot to do with how his character worked. Ted McGintley is a television actor, and he is just, you tell me what you want Jefferson to do, and I will make it work. It's two different type of, of actors, and we've had this whole, like, Steve versus Jefferson kind of idea, and... It's literally like comparing apples and oranges. They're two totally different characters that bring so much. But you're right. There's only been a couple, handful of Jefferson-centric episodes. Hey, real quick. This last week, I was watching a YouTube video, and this guy was uh, talking about names and what makes a name stand out. And he actually said, like a resume, you're going to get a lot more responses if you have something like Steve Jefferson on it. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I wonder if he's a Married with Children fan. <laughs> oh, wow. You're, see, it's influenced all of our lives everywhere. But we find out Jefferson's not in the mood, not because he's disabled, but because he's scared. Now, I know you'll be upset. You'll probably go through the classic uh, denial, guilt, depression, anger, acceptance syndrome. Now, that is preposterous. Admit it, it's all my fault. I should just kill myself. Or kill you, you son of a bitch! (laughs) But I love you, whoever you are. What do we do now? (laughs) I don't know. But if Trogget finds me, I'm as dead as network TV. I love the fact that Marcy went through her entire stages of grief, the five stages of grief in five seconds. It's literally to the second that she goes through every single one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we have Al. But but remember, but she thought it was another terrible secret was what killed me was that he dated Cher. Oh. <laughs> yes, my opening line of the, show, of the show, you're right. Like, no, I, well, I did date Cher, but... It's not because I wanted to. It's it was my turn. Ugh. You'd be lucky to date Cher. She's probably, from what I hear, she's a really fascinating individual. I'm sure she is. Even Butthead got it on with her. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, okay. you know, it's like, um, here's the thing with this. She says, okay, I thought your secret was you dated Cher. But he tells her, Jefferson Darcy is my real name and I'm a spy. And she seems to be totally okay with this. She is just thrilled that she has a boy toy that she can boss around. You know what? You're right. I didn't even think about that. It, she doesn't blink on that at all. It, it, you know what? I think 100% here, she thinks he's full of shit. Probably. I'm a, Yes, like, this is your boy toy. Uh, you are totally keeping him around for, you know, loving, which is totally fine. If that's the relationship you guys want to have... All the power to you. But when your boy toy mentions he used to be a spy and the owner of the new mess is one of the only people left who knows your cover. And man, they they really in this episode, they really take uh, for granted the fact that Americans love like this kind of spy espionage stuff that they don't really have to explain much of anything. And we piece all the pieces together in our head easily. And by the way, I want to jump right back onto that share thing. 
Um, this is not an idea that's saying that Cher is like not attractive or not, uh, or, you know, like, or that people had to be forced to date her. But in real life, she had many romantic relationships with actors as Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer, Eric Stoltz, Tom Cruise, hockey player Ron Dergery, and film producer Josh Doan, Bon Jovi guitarist Richard Sambora, and Rob Camaletti, a bagel baker. 18 years her junior when she dated from 1986 to 1989. That's why she turned back time. Yes. And she <laughs> fought and she could find a way. So, uh, oh, and by the way, the, uh, the, the outfit, I just want to throw out also the outfit that, uh, Marcy's wearing is, uh, she's wearing a cowboy girl outfit. We're thinking it's possibly a reference to Gabby Hayes. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I don't know what else it could be. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that that's just a. I personally think it's just they made a Gabby Hayes joke, and they were just like, "Wow, Amanda Burst looks really, really hot in this. Let's just keep it going." But yeah. then Al comes into the picture. Yes, peep, peep, peep. That's all I was thinking of. Uh <laughs> Maybe it's just a coincidence. The Trogets in Chicago. I mean, Chicago is a big town. It's not like he's going to come through the window and get you. <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson! Gabby? Oh. oh, my tooth! Jefferson, I can't stand to hear Peg in so much pain. Do you have any Novocaine? No. Al, it's getting worse! How about some duct tape? <laughs> You know, the thing I kept thinking of was about when Peg has to go to the doctor, or the dentist, I kept thinking of Dr. Plyerson in Tooth or Consequences. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, Steve Martin in Little Shop of Horror, which mm. I don't know why I thought of that, but anytime someone's like, I'm going to the dentist, and you don't see the dentist, my immediate image is Steve Martin with that slick back hair. All right. Time to do a little drilling. I thought he was the funniest thing in that movie. <laughs> oh, man. Mm, I will say no. Bill Murray is the funniest thing in that movie. But Steve Martin's a close second. And, guys, I'm not going to elaborate at all, listeners. You're going to have to go watch Little Shop of Horror to know what we're talking about. Or just watch the dentist scenes on YouTube. They're oh, so good. Okay, so but we got Al who is just so annoyed uh, with the harping holler of his broken tooth wife. <laughs> and which you can hear her hollering from the window. <laughs> it's so but again, this is, this show is won't waste time because immediately after that, we go right to Al's job, which is to remind us. It's April 1st, April Fool's Day. Hello. Hello. Uh, yes, uh, Golden Sunset Retirement Home. Yes, I'm with the phone company. Uh, we've got a man working on your phone lines. So if you could, would you not pick up the phone for the next five minutes or so, or he'll be electrocuted. Okay? Okay. Bye. <laughs> Hello. 
April Fool's Day? <laughs> uh, hello, Chicago Memorial Hospital. Yes, coronary care unit, please. <laughs> Room, uh, uh four, 410. <laughs> Got some interesting trivia on that one for you. Yes, but uh, let, let's, let's, first, uh, let's first comment on Al's funny-ass joke, because I think it is <laughs> really good. Because <laughs> I thought it was June Lockhart he was talking to first off on the phone. Hello. I really thought uh, June Lockhart is voice actress uh, extraordinaire. She played Granny from Lo- on Looney Tunes, Little Tweety Bird. She played Witch Hazel. <laughs> like she, the second you hear, listeners, go look up June Lockhart and just listen to one clip of her. You'll be like, oh, it's her. Uh, but it's it's not. <laughs> they couldn't get. They couldn't afford her. But no, like Al calls this lady. Uh, the secretary and is like, is this blah blah blah? It doesn't matter. And she's like, yes. Well, just call. Him. This is the man. For, this is the telephone company, man. We're just letting you know that we have a man working on the telephone lines in your area. So if the phone rings in the next uh, ten twenty seconds, please don't answer it, or you will electrocute and kill that man. Do you understand? Um, yeah, yeah, yes. She actually sounds worried. And then he hangs up, calls back. She answers, and he just goes, ah! it's, it, I, it would never work in real life, that particular one, but it doesn't matter, because Al's having so much fun with it. Oh, God, I loved it so much. Real quick, uh, you don't mean June Lockhart, you mean June Foray. Who did I say? Did I say June, June Lockhart? Yeah, you got your Junes mixed up. Oh, damn. Yes. No, listeners, do not look up June Lockhart uh, in, in, in reference to what I was talking about. That's a different June Lockhart. That's a different June. <laughs> yeah, April Fool's Day was a pagan new year. You mentioned uh, when we were talking before we got started. Lisa Simpson did have a grain of truth. April Fool's Day was the pagan new year. We didn't always celebrate it January 1st. It was celebrated the beginning of spring. It was a day of tomfoolery. And a lot of there was a lot of sex going on. They worshipped the goddess Easter, spelled O-E-S-E-A-S-T-E-R. When the Christian church was spreading into it, uh, uh, spreading into Europe, and these pagans were still doing these holidays, even though many of them had converted, they were trying to convince them, hey, you need to give up this pagan stuff, you know, with, especially with all this promiscuous sex. The story goes that the church convinced, started to convince people when Jesus died on the cross and then rose up from the dead three days later. It was the greatest practical joke against the devil that God had ever done. And that was something that really got the pagans to get on board with it, and that's when they changed the name to Easter Sunday. Hmm. Anyway, that's how we really got Easter Sunday. Uh, Most of the major holidays that are Christian are actually co-opted. Christmas is the same way. And the two symbols for Easter were eggs and rabbits. That's where we get those. Mm, both symbols of fertility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which also spring would be. And yes, like yes. I had to button my mouth because you're right. You, you've connected a lot of lines and stuff that I haven't had to talk about in a long time. But you're right. It's uh, There is a, a – for a very uh, prudish country that we live in that doesn't like to talk about stuff like that, a lot of our holidays do have to do with, you know, fertility, sex, mating – pregnancy, birth, death, uh, things that we don't like to talk about in our holidays. Yeah. So, yeah. Sex and alcohol. 
you know. Absolutely, lots of <laughs> <You> it. <know. laughs> most holidays you, <clears throat> most holidays you equate with sex and alcohol, except maybe Groundhog Day. Eh, depends on eh, depends on what what Bill Murray's doing at the time. <laughs> maybe, but anyway, back to this April Fools. I was going to ask you, did you ever have a good April Fools? prank you ever pulled off i pulled one good april fool's joke in my entire life and i had a really good one pulled on me so and both are very uh like right out of the book so to my brother i <laughs> i put you know those little dixie cups you can buy for like uh, that they give you like at the dentist and stuff like that just little swills of water i got about a 500 pack of those I filled them up with water and I placed them all around his bed. And I stood outside his uh, room at like six in the morning. And I was like, Dylan. And he's like, what? I was like, dude, you got to come here. Mom wants you. And then it's so great because you tip one over and you're just flipping and falling. He comes out dripping wet. It was great. (laughs) Okay. I was going to tell my sister was probably the best practical joker I know because of this one. Um, prank she pulled on my nephew lucas he's like uh he's just turned 15 the other day but uh when i first met him he was about 10 or so and uh, i didn't know about this sister we were you know found out we we found out through ancestor that we're related since i was adopted but anyway um lucas loves oreos oh he loves oreos and uh, he went to the pantry one day and uh, there weren't any oreos in there and he was mad. Mom, why didn't you get me Oreos? You should have got me Oreos. And she said, I'm sorry, Lucas, I forgot. He wouldn't let it go. She found one Oreo in the pantry hiding behind something. And so what she did was she carefully took the Oreo apart, scraped off the cream, <laughs> and replaced it with mayonnaise. <gasps> <laughs> oh, Put it back bro- together oh. and sent it out and said, Lucas! I found an Oreo. He rushed in, put it in his mouth, and it was the funniest thing you've oh. ever seen. Oh, my god! And she said that was getting even. Now, one quick prank I pulled on April Fool's. Uh, one of the few – I'm not a big prankster. I've never been a great at it, but uh, I was working at a grocery store as a day janitor when I got out of college because I graduated in the middle of the year. My job didn't start until May. I need something. So I went to the grocery store I worked at during the summers sometimes. And uh, they made me their day janitor. So it was full-time. I got benefits. And one morning I was watching TV. And this was back around in 1990 when they started National Secretary's Day. And now it's National Administrative Assistant Day, something like that. But anyway, I thought, hmm, I'm going to pull a prank on those people at work. And I would go over there. And when I went to work, I said, hey, did you know that this week is National Janitor's Appreciation Week? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was going around everybody telling him that for the whole day. This was um, March 31st when I was doing all this. And I'm thinking, okay, tomorrow's April 1st. I'm going to go in. I'm going to tell him April Fool. When I got there, I was told to go back to the break room for a cleanup. I go back there. No, it's not a cleanup. It's a surprise party. Bakery had made a cake. There were streamers, and they were all thanking me for the job I did. I thought, oh, shit, I am not going to say April Fool's now. So as far as I know, that grocery store, about 71st and Sheridan here in Tulsa, still thinks the first week of April is National Janitor's Appreciation Week. <laughs> I will. Th- that Okay, so you beat me with the band-aids one. That is disgusting. 
disgusting. I'm gonna have to try that on somebody. Um, the uh, <laughs> but the best April Fool's joke that always pops into my mind. And I was born in 1990, so I'm 30 years old right now. Any listeners out there around my age will probably remember this because. Cartoon Network played a terrible April Fool's joke one year on all of us children, and they played the same episode of a show over and over and over for 24 hours straight. And they did not change the TV guides or anything, or their, like, programming, like, coming up next. So I kept waiting for, like, by shows to show up and it was just the same episode i think it was dexter's laboratory or it may have been i i honestly can't remember what the episode was but i'm sure i watched it a thousand times and they just did it over and over and over again and i was like eight years old and my brain couldn't wrap around this. i was like is the tv broken what's happening the world is over Mom, kill me now. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure if they, April Fool's, they still do that at April Fool's, but I do remember the first year. And my mom was confused, too. She was like, wait, what? What's going on? And she, it, she was the one who made the realization what day it was. Oh, wow. The whole network's playing a joke. It, yeah, it was pretty cool. So if anybody can remember what, was the inaugural episode that they played 24-7, one after another, back-to-back. Please let me know, because I can't remember. <laughs> oh, it's so cruel. And it was a Saturday, April Fool's. So I was home from school, and no cartoon. Yeah. Well, one cartoon, infinitum. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those were great April Fool's stories, but, yeah, I, but Al's is just having so much fun with these pranks. You know, that phone prank was something me and my friend Trevor did when we were kids. I kid you not. He, he, Trevor was the one who did it, usually. He was the one who got kind of got me into trouble. He's still one of my best friends in the world. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 when I heard that joke, I thought, oh, I remember when Trevor and I did that. <laughs> yeah, you can't Or Trevor fo- really did it. Can't really do phone pranks much in these days. Yeah, well, as someone who works in a job that answers phones, don't do it, people. And if you have kids that are doing that, you catch them doing that, punish them. Pick some random person, random resident, and make that joke. Don't call hardworking people and uh, who are at their jobs. Ooh, I got like 12 of them yesterday. Ah, oh, we'd like to make a donation. And I get all the donation stuff out. I get the uh, codes to alter everything in the system. Okay, and... uh who are you guys representing, and how much are you trying to donate? Uh, we're representing your mom, and we want to donate a million dollars. I wanted to reach through that phone and smack those kids. Anyway, there we have to ha- go right back to our inserted D-plot of pay- of uh, Kelly and Bud doing their grifting thing. What, are they still here? <laughs> I don't understand it. When we both look desperate and homeless, they give you all the money and spit all over me. What is that? You don't get it, do you? (sighs) Look. This is not a funhouse mirror. This is actually what you look like. Now, on the other hand, this is what I look like. Yum! (laughs) Ew! Yum! Ew! And that is why we are opening K 
Kelly and butts. Spare change? And the and I'm just gonna point this out how unneeded this is, and I even think that characters are being lazy in real life because you've got you've got Bud looking like a stereotypical 1970s New York hobo, and you've got Kelly, which until she mentions see that her sleeve is ripped i had no idea that she was even supposed to be pretending to be homeless she's got full makeup on her hair looks great it's it's the one real flaw that i have with this episode is this weird plot that goes nowhere i would agree although i will say i thought it was interesting to see a new part of the mall so back to back to the episode we've got our guest star of the episode Walter Trogett. I, I mean, you're right. I did not have many notes on this guy because I saw him as just a character actor. But he's actually, his name is Robert Mandan. He died at the age of 86 just a couple of years ago in oh, 2018. Wow. But he has 119 acting credits. He did a lot in soap operas. He was in General Hospital. He also did a lot in Days of Our Lives. He's got a soap opera look to him. Yeah, he was in the Weird Science TV series, if you remember that god-awful thing from the 90s. Oh, God, there's uh, a TV show? Yeah, there was uh-huh. a TV show for it on. I think USA had it on. He also was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine for an episode. He was in Who's the Boss for a couple of episodes. He was also in a series called Santa Barbara that lasted for one season. Uh. But he's probably... Uh, and he did a lot of appearances in The Love Boat, the facts of life but yes. he's probably best known for being in three's company and three's a crowd the sequel to three's company yeah when jack was living with his uh with his love vicky uh he played vicky's father his name uh robert mandan played uh james bradford i also remembered him in a burt reynolds movie called the best little Whore- whorehouse in texas Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that actually that movie right there has uh Dolly Parton singing the very famous And I Will Always Love You. Which that one everyone says Whitney Houston's one is so sad it makes you want to cry. Dolly Parton's original is more is is more beautiful in my opinion. By the way, that song was actually written for her and her writing partner when she was gonna go solo and it was her gift to him. So she's singing about that writing partner. He, uh, real quick, Robert Mandan was also in Soap, uh, in that great teen cult classic, Zapped. Oh, he's Scott Bale Zapped? and Willie Amps. Yeah, he's the principal in that one. Nice. Okay, so yeah. yeah. Sh- movie should have been car- called The Nude Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Zap- I'm going to look into it. I'm thinking there's a lot of crossover between Zapped and Joysticks. So I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little research after that. It's Robert Mandan, obviously a really great character actor and fitting. Uh, the, by the way, listeners, when, when I say character actor, character actors are people that are really good at just being a character. Like, hey, we need someone to, to play the president of Valgacio, a weird country we're making up. You get a character actor and they'll come in. They'll read the script, they'll do their role, and they'll leave. They won't take away the uh, spotlight from the main stars. They won't eat no. up the scenery, and they are very professional, and they're punctual, and they're, uh, you know, they're dependable people. So uh, IMBD is full of those people. You'll see someone with, like, a thousand acting credits, and most of them are just one episode of this, two episodes of that. It's a good way to make a living. And this guy did his job well. 
because he walks in. Al Bundy? Uh, yes, officer. Uh, I'm innocent. I, uh, I was abused. No, Mr. Bundy. My name is Walter Truckett. Oh, the, the baseball team owner. Yeah, I saw you on TV last night. What are you doing here? I've got something to discuss with you of a rather um, personal nature. Oh, well, don't worry about it, Truckett. Your secret's safe with me. I'll just go close the blinds and you can uh, try on anything you like here. <laughs> a couple of season tickets, I'll call a friend of mine over at Victoria's Secret and you can uh, coordinate. Thank you, no, Mr. Bundy. I came here to ask you a question. Specifically, do you know the man in this picture? <laughs> or this one? <laughs> or maybe this one? A cut to the chase. This man is one of the most dangerous people in the world. Joey Bishop? I always suspected that. That one. Him. Why, that looks like... Like uh, who, Mr. Bundy? And you have to keep remembering, this is the owner of a baseball team. Gun-strapped. Do you notice the gun that he had in his holster? When he's talking no, to I Al, didn't. yeah, he moves his uh, coats, ba- his uh, coattails back, and there's a holster with a gun that he is packing, and uh, to show that he's being serious, he comes on in, and Al, <laughs> and he's in here to intimidate Al, and says, "Al, I need, I need your help." And Al immediately thinks <laughs> that he wants to do some weird stuff with the shoes. I guess Quentin Tarantino was in before him earlier that day. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's like, you know, maybe I can give my buddy from Victoria's Secrets a call and you can accessorize. But uh <laughs> but no, he is here to get information on a Mr. Jefferson and whips out amazing Forrest Gump looking doctorate fo- doctored photos of Jefferson in play- <laughs> inserted with Fidel Castro. And then there was Yasser Arafat. He was a terrorist with the Palestinian with the PLO back in the 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you recognized him. I recognized Castro easily. And for some weird ass reason, the two Americans right here did not recognize the third picture, which is a picture of the Rat Pack. <laughs> and I, because you and me were talking about this right before recording, we're like, what is that picture? So I had to like look the picture up, and the only reason we got it is because Al goes, who, Joey Bishop? And I looked it up, Joey Bishop was a member of the Rat Pack, alongside Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., and Peter Lawford. So if you're looking at this picture, I have it pulled right up, uh, and the, this should be actually the the cover art of the episode when we post it. We'll dock that out later, Stephen. Um, if you're looking at the picture, you've got Sammy Davis Jr. sitting right in the middle. You've got Frank Sinatra to, uh, to his right. You've got Jefferson right next to Frank Sinatra. You've got Dean Martin to the left, and I believe that would be um, 
uh, Joey Bishop to the far left there. So yeah, how if they were Joey Bishop? I mean, I knew about the other guys, but uh, that's, yeah, I'd... he pulled the one that I think most people would not immediately get. The Rat Pack, very po- a very very popular um, music group uh, from the. I would say the 1960s. Yes, the 1960s. And these guys would just show up on stage. They would sing together. Um, and they also appeared in the famous Ocean's Eleven movie, which uh, about a bunch of men getting together, um, pulling their money and resources together and robbing the casino in uh, Vegas, which would be done later on with Brad Pitt and George Clooney. And three other sequels in the future. Yeah, by the way, this is not the fir- fir- last time we will see a reference to Fidel Castro and uh, Jefferson Darcy. Oh, we'll no. We'll see one again. Oh, yes. I re- well, the second I saw that Fidel Castro thing, I remember that episode. So <laughs> that's going to be fun. But we have these awesome photos, and Mr. Truggett is alluding to the fact that Jefferson was telling the truth. Now, I don't think Al knew what Jefferson told Marcy. You have it in your mind that Al was there and already knew all this, but I he, he showed up after the uh, after Jefferson's confession to Marcy, so Al has absolutely no idea what the hell this guy is talking about. And uh, if you're a cop, I don't talk to the law, I don't listen to the law, I don't watch L.A. Law. Let me level with you. The man I'm asking you about is a spy, Mr. Bundy. A dangerous spy. And we want him. This is my card. I'll be in Chicago for two more days. Oh, uh, not that you'd put financial gain above your country's national security, but there is a small reward for information leading to the arrest of this man. Oh, rewards mean nothing to me. Um, How much is it, by the way? $50,000. I'll be talking to you. As a good American who would never put financial gain over the safety and security of his country, Al is offered $50,000. The same amount he could have gotten if he had turned in Steve Rose in the agony. And the amount of money that he owed Marcy at at the beginning of the 1-800-SHOE commercial. So yeah, fifty thousand uh, dollars just seems to be a good. You know what? It's a good amount of money to be like. What's an amount of money that you would not say no to? Fifty thousand dollars, I think, still works. Fifty grand. <laughs> yeah, that would work for me. Yeah, that's that will make me say yes to most things. But well, most things. Got, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I said most. Capital M, most things. Uh, so. We've got so Al is now under the assumption that Jefferson is into this kind of stuff. Like he is actually, this is actually real. Now I don't know if you remember first watching this episode. I totally was a hundred percent sure this was bullshit because Jefferson's a liar. He always is. Yeah. But because I didn't pick it up until this watching that Al wasn't actually in the room. When Jefferson spoke this off, this is going to put a plot hole into the how this episode ends. And I'll come yes. back to that when we get to it. All right, all right, Peg. I made the appointment with the dentist. And this better still hurt when we get there, because dentists aren't cheap. <laughs> hey, guys, what's up? Oh, nothing. <laughs> or as they say in the Kremlin, nyit. <laughs> 
Uh, Peg, please just go wait in the car. I'll be right there. Promise me, Al. Yes, I promise, Peg. You swear to me, Al? Damn your head! Yes, I promise! Wait in the freaking car! Jeez, the things that women make you say to show them you love them. Poor Peg. She is in pain. She needs to go to the dentist. And Al is just putting it off and putting it off. And when Jefferson comes on over, <laughs> she just decides to leave because she's like, Well, she's waiting out in the car. Yeah, for like, him. go away so on she... the car. Damn your hide, woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the audience, how much the audience laughed at that. But we've got Al doing what I would consider a nice. Uh, <laughs> a nice uh, interrogation on what he believes is a good American and it's so great Al could not be more shallow in his portrayal of this like it, it's so funny so what do you want buddy? oh nothing it's just that I uh, didn't get a chance to talk to you much yesterday and I was just you know wondering what was up you know <sighs> nothing me neither so Ever been a spy? <laughs> I beg your pardon? Okay, okay! Let's get right to the point. Who won the World Series in 76? <laughs> the Reds. Aha! <laughs> what? Interesting choice-ski, comrade. <laughs> Look, Al, shouldn't you be taking Peggy to the dentist? Well, you'd love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> And something interesting about the Cincinnati Reds, that was their big red machine days. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode where uh, they had just an awesome team. Johnny Bench, Pete Rose was part of that team, Dave Concepcion, Joe Morgan. God, that team was just phenomenal. But uh, the funny thing is, believe it or not. But they're communists, Stephen. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I was about to say, the thing is, in the 1950s, Senator Joseph McCarthy did accuse Red's ownership and some players of being communist sympathizers, and he associated with the Red in their uniform and their names in general, the Reds. Ugh. I know. Paranoia it's, at its finest. It is its not finest. taught in our schools enough how terrible the McCarthy era was. Like, just turning everybody. Like, this. it wasn't just going after, like, celebrities and stuff like that. Like, people were yeah. turning against their neighbors. Kids in school were reporting kids they didn't like as communists. And it wasn't even a joke. If That was taken very seriously. And you could get arrested and uh, detained and questioned. And your family wouldn't know exactly where you were detained. And if you argued yeah. against it, Maybe you were a sympathizer as well. It's an era that we don't think about too often, but it was big. We call it Red Scare for a reason. It was a second Red Scare. We had another one back in the 20s. Yeah, teens this 20s, particular actually. one was intense. That was, um, it was a lot worse. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, Al decides the best way to figure this out is the best way to tell if a man is a real American and not a spy who could totally learn these things, is yeah. to know the presidents. Do you know what I want to do? What? I want to play name the American presidents. you got to be kidding. Afraid not. You go first. Okay. George Washington. 
Eisenhower. John Adams. Eisenhower. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. Um, Eisenhower. <laughs> James K. Polk. Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> Al, we have run through the presidents 15 times. More questions. Biggins Magazine. <laughs> Hooters of the Month. <laughs> November 88. Kimberly Nicholson, born 1969. Turn-ons, fast cars, walks on the beach, and young Rod Stewart. Turn-offs, men who smoke, war, and old Rod Stewart. <laughs> right? What's that? I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, look, Al, I was a spy. Thank you. <laughs> but for us, Trogget's the bad guy. Besides, Al, you have known me for three years. You know I'm an American. Well, so am I. That's why it's so hard to turn down free money. <laughs> I've got another reason for you not to turn me in, Al. Because you're a Bundy... And if you put a D where the N is, you're a buddy. And if you put the N where the D is, I'm a bunny. What's your point? <laughs> now, look, I'm not going to turn you in. There are three things a bunny will never be. Rich, a snitch, or a regular. <laughs> so relax. Your secret's safe with me. Thanks, Al. One last question. Who was the vice president under President Eisenhower? I have no idea. You are an American. <laughs> okay, so you know what, Stephen? I'll tell you right now, I have no flippant idea who Eisenhower's uh, VP was. I did, but... You know, I kind of studied that a little bit more when I was in college. But uh, you recognize but, it as a Je as a Jeopardy question that average people yeah. would not know. But here's the thing, you know. Frankly, no one cares about who was VP back during Ike Eisenhower anymore. Oh. No one cares that uh, you know. No one remembers that George W. or probably George Herbert Bush was Reagan's uh, vice president. They only remember him as president. Oh, yes. And that's very yeah. funny that Eisenhower was being used at this time as the you can't get better than Eisenhower. He is every Republican's um, warmongering person's I go to. When, when you really study the man, you want to talk about a complicated individual is Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yeah, like, he was. Well, he wasn't so war- he wasn't a warmonger. Even though he just had a he was had a job to do. Even yeah. though he was one of only two people that was awarded commander of the United States forces in like mm -hmm. American history and was probably considered which next to General Washington, I think he is the most famous American general of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and only because 
Washington was the first. <laughs> and yeah, he, probably yes. He became president in one of the biggest landslides in you know history. Um, he was he did do a lot of good in his presidency, and he actually stated a fear of the American military industrial complex that it was becoming yep. privatized and becoming a huge thing that would be impossible to regulate and would do massive spendings and even could lead to massive human rights violations that likes of which that they do to return World War II, at least he believed, did a lot to try to stop. And I feel so bad that his prediction came true in well, it was coming true back then when we started with the Red Scare. Oh, yeah, but I don't think even mm-hmm. he could imagine drones and uh, oh, like, yeah. and the, in, the the internet and how, when, when you ask, are we at war right now? Even if we're not, military stuff's going on all over. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah he, he saw, he was a very smart man. He saw a lot of stuff going. But Al and his brain is like... That is the only right answer. Let's name the presidents. Okay, Washington, Eisenhower, John Adams, Eisenhower. <laughs> On top of that, you know, we've established Al was, <clears throat> when he was born, pretty much the year was 48. So when he was growing up, he, you know, Eisenhower was the president throughout the 50s. So, yes, your you favorite. Know, the one that everyone remembers. So. so this would be, if I was Al, I would have to be going, if Jefferson would go, George Washington, and I would go, Bill Clinton. Yeah, very likely. Uh-huh. <laughs> Me, it's Ronald Reagan, because he was the one I remember growing up in the 80s so much. Oh, Mr. Reagan himself. Uh, Mr. Movie Star. Okay. But, uh, yeah, um, I just I just love it. And the one thing I noticed, the last president that uh, Jefferson names, Polk. And where did Al Bundy go to high school? Polk High, where he scored four touchdowns in one game to help them win the city championship in 1966. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a um, it's a very it's a really great line because I've spent a lot of time on Twitter lately because you know we're not much else to do is just be online and go through social media, and I usually stay away from political stuff. I usually you know go on movie arguments and television show stuff, but every once in a while I'll go through and mm-hmm. read some of the comments on these political uh, things where someone will just someone who has a million followers will just say Bernie Sanders is the best don't you all agree and I'm just like oh god and then you see like 10 billion comments and you're going through and people will get in bitty, yeah. in like wars and Al the way he speaks it's almost exact I can imagine his Twitter feed and just there's no way you can say any answer that's correct and it just keeps on going. Like this is some Al has it in his head that he's right, and he is waiting to hear the answer he wants to hear to validate what he wants to validate. Yeah, it's like don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. <laughs> exactly. But this app, this ending is going to go by really quickly. Jefferson tells Al the the truth. What he well, what Al wants to hear. Yes, I did. But you're my friend. And there's a great line that I love. It's if you take the D, uh, if you take the N and replace it with a D and Bundy, you got Buddy. And Al, very, 
And Al, this is too clever for Al Bundy, but I loved it. If you replace the uh, first D with an N, you got Bunny. What's your point? <laughs> Easter Bunny. <laughs> Al Bunny. <laughs> Al and Piggy Bunny. Oh, my God. Someone out there, draw that, please. Bundy. But, <laughs> but it's it's really funny. Jefferson plays to Al's, like, you know, like, we're our, we're our friends and everything. and But... $50,000, Steve. That's mm. a lot of money. Yeah. I don't have any friends that are worth fifty grand right now, so there you go. <laughs> I have a little problem with the way they go by the last second to last scene and the last scene of the episode. Is this the same day when Jefferson comes back with his fake dog duty and vomit? There's a party going on. Is this the same day as their president's argument? That's... Because- yeah, it's not clear. It's not clear at all. Uh, I think it may not be because I do believe the scene when Al brings his ladder to go upstairs, that's nighttime then, so... Mm-hmm. And, or at least assuming eight hours had passed since they had, had Jefferson and Marcy had, had sex, so... The, the timeline of this episode is very strange. I'm going to give them some leeway because they are definitely trying to breeze through this. And it's like they had an idea of how they wanted this episode to end, but they kind of forgot how they were going to get there. But sometime later, we have Jefferson coming back in. It could be a different day. It could be the same day. And they're about to go to a party because Al's watching the baseball game with mm-hmm. Buck. And... Which is adorable. Watch your, wa- watching baseball with his dog. That's cute. Yeah. $50,000. Hi, Al. Hey. I got some great stuff for the April Fool's party tonight. Check it out. Fake vomit. (laughs) (laughs) And fake doggy doo-doo. Humans, they really know how to party. Jefferson, I've been thinking about it, and I, I can't go to the party with you. Why not? Oh, it's the... Lame April Fool's gags, huh? Well, that, and I could get killed hanging out with you. (laughs) See, I don't want to go that way, Jefferson. I want to go the way all Bundys go. I want to hang myself in my own basement by jumping off my workbench. (laughs) Not that I have it planned out or anything. (laughs) But nobody knows who I am, Al. Unless you told. Why would I do that? Who would I tell? Paging Mr. Troggett. Paging Mr. Walter Troggett. (laughs) No. Now, that, that page could have come from anybody. Mr. Al Bundy, aging Walter Troggett. What? Hey, Jefferson, I, I swear, I didn't have nothing to do with that. I see now what I have to do. <coughs> but, but I didn't have nothing to do with that. <laughs> you know, you would think after a few years you could count on a friend to take him at his word. But I guess you just never know who you can really trust. A hey, buddy? That's... That's Bunny! <laughs> with, with two ends! 
Don't grovel, Al. Look, if you have to say anything, I want you to take a deep breath and tell me who's the best damn April Fooler in the whole world. Walter Chogget? He's an old friend of the family from D.C. I sent him into your store with that story, Al. And you bought it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, you better not use your phone for the next five minutes because someone's going to be working on your lines. <laughs> oh, that's a nice try, Al. Come on, let's go to the party. But, but you mean none of that spy stuff was true? Oh, come on, Al. If I was really involved in espionage, couldn't I have just made one phone call and had Trogget taken out? I guess. Well, then, what do you think? Huh? <laughs> what do we think about this? Pretty good practical joke. Hmm. So, Jefferson apparently has hired Walter Trogget, or Walter Trogget's his fa old family friend question mark, and got him to come down and show him those pictures. But to do this, you would have to assume that Al already knew about Jefferson's past, because why would Jefferson be setting this up as a joke for Al without Al involved in the first place? Like, he would have to know that Al was outside listening, but Al wasn't listening yet. So he wouldn't have known when he told Marcy again i'm thinking they they had they're trying to have their cake and eat it too i'll give it to him because it's a really funny ending but it's it's kind of strange because at the end when al leaves and jefferson's about to leave too <laughs> and that's a ground out to third ah! oh my god ladies and gentlemen walter Troggett just fell to the ground from an upper deck luxury box <laughs> And then you hear in the screen the Trogget just falls from his guest uh, from his uh his luxury box. And Jefferson just makes that little boo sound with it with the noisemaker and just stares at the screen and that famous ending title card, which will be Jefferson's title card from season nine onward. Uh, in, mm -hmm. in the credits but my question is this show is one of the only ones that could have ever pulled off making one of their main characters a spy and then they pull the rug out, uh, out from under you and say no it's an April Fool's joke and I question whether or not we're supposed to take the ending seriously because there's no other characters around to react yeah. from what he's saying. I'm not sure. I don't know either. Uh, this is where, you know, you get into, well, was he a spy or wasn't he? And then a little hint that he might have been. And he does apparently, you know, ha has contacts because uh, remember in our previous episode when, um, you know, Alan Jefferson were at a war with each other. Uh, Jefferson made a phone call and was able to get uh, 
something. Oh, Jefferson can make phone calls up the ass in almost all the episodes yeah. he's in. He just seems and to then there's a, a later of- one. Yeah, there's a later one when he picks up the phone and he calls. Uh, uh, well, let's not talk about know, any like- later episodes because any later episodes can work off this uh, premise yeah. that they're setting up. But it's very interesting because. Like I said, Jefferson's that character that just can do what he wants and can fit for any episode. So I think by having it be this character, it lends credence. It makes a lot of sense to a lot of what he is. He can't work. He's permanently disabled. Why does he not work? Is he lazy? No. Maybe he just doesn't want to put his name out there and be registered or locked in. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. They didn't he took Marcy's name. Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it it works and it's also it's like he's winking at us going, if you really think about it too hard, I'm just gonna keep making fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. So the show does follow continuity really strongly. That's why I was uh like really thinking hard about this because I when Jefferson came back on the show when uh, when uh, at, when when Al and the crew got to that when Alex and the crew got to it I was like there he is the spy wait really hmm because now that I've been watching it this the show with their you know reviewers eyes I was starting to wonder I always every decision he's made up to this point I'm like ooh. This kind of works with him being a spy. So it's it's fun. I like the way the episode handled that. So um did we want to talk about anything else before we get into the um to begin to the ratings? No. Uh, I would I would just say I agree that they're just kind of setting it up for more of the future things that Jefferson does. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball question though for me. Um, the I don't know if you watched the end credits, but it's a still shot of Buck watching the game, and the game is still happening. Um, I think the Mets win or they lose, but the audience goes I, nuts. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, I thought yeah. it was some baseball stuff. I didn't really pay attention to it because I thought it was just another baseball joke. But, yeah, maybe. Listeners, if you count that, let us know. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app, and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So, all right. So, Stephen, what were your thoughts on this episode? And out of all, out of five piles of fake dog duty... How many are you giving it? I'm giving this one three and a half. I did like it with the Jefferson dynamic. It was just that the writers obviously didn't know what to do with Bud and Kelly or Peg for that matter. I thought their scenes were wasted. The only one I thought filler I thought was not wasted was um, Marcy's. 
when she was in that outfit and talking to Jefferson. I thought they used that one well, but the others I just thought were just weak. Uh, but yeah, three and a half. Okay. What about you? Well, I was about to give it when I when I first started when we first started recording. In my mind, I was like, I got five big steaming piles of fake dog duty. But after talking with you, I kind of have to go with four and a half. Now, I wasn't. I I was going to be lenient. I was going to be lenient with the episode because, like I said, they really had a good idea. They were really tight. They didn't linger on anything. They didn't waste a lot of time. Some of the things were a little strange. Uh, Like we said, there were some discrepancies with when are things actually happening? Is this the same day kind of deal? But again, only if you're criticizing it do you even think about that. But I'm taking a full half of dog duty away. For Kelly and Bud, because it was so weak and unnecessary. I'm starting to think that there had to be, like, contracts uh, that said that they have to appear and have, like, agency of some form in every episode. Because that's the only reason I would think uh, Jerry Cohen would uh, even do this. Because this is such a tight episode. If you think about it, you know, when they introduced Seven, they, he was relegated to just one or two lines. Sometimes he had no lines at all. And I guess they just couldn't do that with David Faustino and uh, Christina App- Applegate. Mm-hmm. And they could have, but that's the thing. If it's contract, mm-hmm. they could have totally had them come in because their, in, their introduction in the episode was fun. Like that whole yeah. in and out joke and uh, Kelly and Bud's little banter back and forth. By the way, Bud's jacket loved his, like, greaser jacket he's mm-hmm. wearing and they could have just said like yeah me and Kelly are gonna go where we we got tickets to the I don't know smashing headband of blah 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 and then they come back and at the end of the episode they just come back and their stuff's all ripped up or something they could have given him an excuse yeah it, it, yeah you're right it's just the writing stalled with them it's they didn't know what second, to do with them it's that second scene of them in the mall. And like you said, cool to see the other part of the mall. But they never interact with, with Al. They it. never Yeah, they don't interact with him. They don't yeah. push the plot forward. So it's a that's a big mistake to make at this level of the show with these two characters who are talented enough to pull off what you need to do or smart enough to just to, you know, hang back. So that's a big half a doo doo go. <laughs> So, yeah, four and a yeah. half. Still a really, really good episode. I was looking forward to this, and I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Yeah, I liked it. I just didn't love it. And if I don't love it, I'm not even going to give it a four. Ah. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, you, uh, listeners know me. I'm an easy lay when it comes to stars. So, But to get a five, you really got to do something. And say, it, there's There's got to be nothing. There's got to be nothing wasted. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. Kelly and Bud were wasted. And like I said, I thought Peg was kind of wasted too. Peg worked. Peg Peg worked perfectly. She was a. Uh, she had to be there. You would wonder where the hell she was because she didn't have a job, and she needs to be annoying, which she does great, and gets out of that room the way she just goes to the dentist mm-hmm. while Jefferson and Al are having their conversation is what Kelly and Bud should have done. 
Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. She ain't nothing special, no special role for her, but she succeeded in being annoying. <laughs> All right, I said I was going, and I'm going. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to just disappear. You'll see me again. Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there. And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two-thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. Here we are two weeks after my announcement that I might have COVID. I did. (laughs) Uh, So sorry for last week's delay. That was all my fault. Uh, I was pretty much bedridden. Uh, But here we are to talk about The Darcy Files. A classic, iconic episode, a lot might say. Um, Definitely one of those episodes where, like in the old days, Jerry and Justin used to say... It didn't move anything along, or it didn't do this, didn't do that, so they wouldn't give it a high rating. Well, this this episode definitely um, does a lot for uh, character development. Well, where do we begin? Uh, I'm with Peg. Baseball is boring. I don't know how people watch that stuff. Jefferson in his classic Jefferson versus Steve battle pajamas. That was cool. He worked for the CIA, and Walter Trogett can blow his cover. Which apparently he only has a desire to do when he's in town with the baseball team. And he happens to be in the town he thinks Jefferson lives in and got as far as meeting up with his next door neighbor, but not at Al's house where he could have just went right next door to Jefferson himself, but just at the shoe store. (laughs) Kelly looks hot as a homeless chick. Yum. The photoshopped pics of Jefferson are classic. (laughs) $50,000 to turn Jefferson in. I still wonder why go to Al. (laughs) If you thought Al knew anything about him, it's only because you knew he was his neighbor, right? So just go next door. It's not like Jefferson doesn't just show up there every day. (laughs) The classic uh, moment where Al just keeps saying, Eisenhower. (laughs) You know, uh, I always knew that bit, but I I really didn't remember what episode it's from. But I guess if I thought about it enough, I would have remembered. But yeah, classic. Bundy is Buddy. If you take the N away and put a D there, (laughs) it's also Bunny. That was great. Bud and Kelly's B-plot really didn't go anywhere all that interesting. It's almost as if it was just done, just so Kelly can say... Gee, I wish we had something on Jefferson. Pretty big stretch just to say that line, right? Otherwise, I'd I'd call it a more or less failed B-plot. Al Bundy paging Walter Truggett. (laughs) Then Jefferson locking the door, turns around, Al cowers on the floor like a bunny. That was a great callback. Even put the ears up. (laughs) Jefferson said it was one big April Fool's joke. Truggett was tossed from an upper deck luxury box... Then Jefferson blows the horn. He had Traggett killed. I mean, that's what we're taking away from this, right? (laughs) So Jefferson is a killer. 
And so is Marcy for cutting the, the brakes of the school bus, right? So they're both murderers. Al and Peg are living next door to murderers. And I think they were both told this. I think I think Marcy told Peg she did that, right? Or something like that. I mean, I don't I don't remember, but oh my god. You know, it's funny. I'm watching this episode and it it's flying by at a good enough clip and all that. It was interesting the whole way through. It was never boring. But, you know, you'd think that I'd just give this an, a five. But, uh, I don't know. It was, like, good, but not great. But it's classic and iconic and memorable. You cannot forget this. Very strange. You would think if you're going to have such a big turn for a character that you would load this episode up. You know? So, I don't know exactly how to take this. So I'm going to give it a four out of five. I like it. That's all, folks. All right. Well, that okay. pretty much does it for this episode of Married with Children. Stephen, what do we have next? Next, we're going to have a great episode because we're going to be reviewing The Legend of, what is it, Ironhead Hayes. Yes. Where, yes. Yeah, and, uh, and we're hoping... That we will be joined by the master himself, Alex Edwards. Yes, and I... Tune in for that one. Disclaimer for that, a lot of stuff is happening. We're working very, very hard to get all these episodes recorded and edited and done and ready to be put out. But this particular coming episode, we have all decided that Alex absolutely will be on. Now, whether that means it's going to be you and Alex, Stephen, or just me and Alex, or even luigi and alex it'll be whatever works for alex's uh, schedule because this is one of his favorite episodes and we want him on it we still want him to be a part of this next week on the Mary with children podcast team chris and luigi will be reviewing nooner or later al shows his temp dexter around the shoe store while bud and kelly stand in line outside the shoe store for our rock concert because they need to see the band burn beyond recognition. In the meantime, Peggy, aiming to win a trip to Tahiti, tries to get out and make a fool of himself over the radio. And to make it extra cool, Chris and Luigi will be joined by a very special co-host who was a super fan in the early days of the World Wide Web. She has a great, awesome story to tell you that you're all going to love to hear. We are definitely looking forward to our next episode, and until then... Y'all have a wonderful day. And just wait. You'll get a chance to date share sometime in the future, too. Oh, I, I hope so. <laughs> All right. All righty. <laughs> Bye-bye.